conversations I've been waiting to have them Trying to change the way I speak so that they don't feel so challenged Can you see the inconsistency, come feel the imbalance I can tell you either way, yeah, all that shit's a distraction I can tell you either way, yeah, all this shit's Hello and welcome to Her Hustle's brand new podcast series, How I Hustle With me, your host, Emma Louise Boynton Her Hustle is a new careers platform for ambitious women born out of a shared frustration between myself and my co-founder Elspeth Mary at the lack of genuinely good, genuinely helpful career advice on offer. We're all under so much pressure these days to find the perfect job, one that combines purpose and passion, which pays the bills and feeds the soul. But finding that ideal job and carving out that great career is hard. And if you aren't lucky enough to have a clear vision of exactly who and what you want to be, the search can feel both confusing and isolating. Not least because so often we don't actually know the full range of jobs out there, nor what they really involve you doing. That's why we've created Her Hustle, an events and networking platform, and now also a podcast series, which aims to get behind lofty job titles and vague job specs, and demystify the day-to-day of jobs across a broad range of sectors. Throughout this podcast series, I'll be speaking to brilliant women at all different stages of their careers, discuss how I hustle. That is what it really means to do what they do, how they got there and how they get it all done. With me today is the fabulous author and journalist Hattie Collins. Hattie has held a multitude of enviable job titles, including editor of ASOS magazine and features editor at ID. And she's written for a litany of brilliant publications, such as the Sunday Times, The Guardian and GQ. She is perhaps best known for her unrivaled knowledge of London's grime scene, the growth of which she's documented since its inception at the turn of the millennium, and which she delves into in expert detail in her book This Is Grime, published in 2016. Suffice it to say, few know the grime scene like Hattie. Then, last but not least, she's recently started hosting Proud on Beats One, a radio show exploring LGBTQ plus music and history. Hattie, thank you so much for joining me. It's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Emma Louise. It's lovely to be here. <laughs> so, Hattie, you spoke at our second ever Her Hustle event. That's right. And what I loved most about the way you discussed your career was how candid you were about not having ever really had a plan, as it were. Mm. It's easy to look at someone like yourself, who has so successfully carved out kind of quite a specific niche, writing about popular culture and music and assume this was always part of some big kind of master plan. From the outside, it looks like you've steered your career down a very clear trajectory, but I know this wasn't necessarily the case. No, I've literally driven kind of blindfolded through a tunnel with uh, the destination nowhere on the sat-nav. Um, yeah, it's not... It's been... Um, it's been completely made up, really, to be honest. Um, what I really wanted to do was combine a love of writing, I was always good at English at school, mm-hmm. with a love of music. Um, I think it was years ago my brother once floated the idea of being a music journalist and that must have stuck with me. So um, I'd already had a, a previous career, I'd been a very bad actor uh, before that in my 20s. So I was like, well, I, could, I guess I could try music journalism. Um, and that's kind of how it started and it, there was certainly no intention to, for me to end up you know, writing a book or ghostwriting mm-hmm. books or hosting a hosting a radio show, anything like that. I just wanted to not be on the dole. 
totally understand that. So that was my main motivation. What was that transition like? So you were, you said you were. Mm. I don't. I doubt you're a bad actress, but I'm going to take, oh, word, I'll take your word I for it. Wasn't great. <laughs> but what led you to having pursued that for a couple of years? What was that mm. point at which you said, "Okay, I'm done. I now need to do something else." Well, alcohol played a part. I'm not going to lie, and I don't recommend that to, to <laughs> younger listeners. But I was in Portugal with some friends on a holiday. Mm. Alcohol had been drunk, and we ended up on sort of like a... This sounds very dangerous, but we ended up on a clifftop at the end of the night. (laughs) You know how it goes. You have a few margaritas. Totally, totally been there. Um, uh, Yeah, we were just all drunk on top of... You know, just having one of these, like, big life moments. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I remember looking at the moon in Portugal, and I was like, you know what? I just want to move to New York. I don't want to do what I'm doing at the moment, which was at that that point was sort of trying to act. We had our own acting agency Mm -hmm. and me and a friend of mine and we were teaching kids how to do drama. We were Mm -hmm. doing theatre and education. I mean, it was all great stuff. Just It just wasn't fulfilling to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that moment in Portugal was a very pivotal moment. I returned back to London with a um, fractured ankle. I fell off the... Not I fell off the cliff. I fell off my shoe on the way back down from the cliff. Um, and, yeah, just sort of set about kind of trying to carve a career as, as a music journalist. And it, it, it sounds like a ridiculous idea now, but it's even more ridiculous the fact that it kind of panned out. So I don't know if my advice to people is that it's good to have a plan or mm-hmm. it's not good to have a plan. For me, there was no plan. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just a sort of vague idea that I wanted... The only thing that I think probably worked out was that I wanted, I wanted to do something that I absolutely loved. Mm-hmm. And I loved music and I loved writing. And that was all the plan that I needed. And so was it straight into kind of the music aspect of journalism? Yeah, straight mm-hmm. away. I The very first thing I did was I... So I mean, I didn't know what I was doing. So I sort of rang the enemy and was like, hey, can I... Can I um, you know, interview someone for you, and they were like, well, no. <laughs> so I went to, like, the Khalees show and a Nas yeah. show. I, you know, I paid out my own money, to obviously, yeah. to, go, to go and paid out my pocket to go and see these guys, wrote reviews, and I remember the feedback of saying, you know, being like, you need to find your own voice, which mm-hmm. has really stuck with me, which is great advice. I forgot the person that has given that to me, who gave that to me from enemy. But um, then I went to the B-Boy Championships in South London, and fortuitously, the reviewer that had been reviewing it for Hip Hop Connection which mm-hmm. is a magazine that's now long since gone had gone AWOL and the person said oh you went to the B-Boy Championships what, maybe you could write us a review so I wrote the review the review got published with that I went to a magazine called Touch also dearly departed as many of the magazines mm. that, uh, that I started out in Sadly. are and they were like oh actually funny enough we're looking for we're about to relaunch we're looking for a reviews editor send us some music reviews I mean and that's that's kind of really how it started it was yeah, I don't know, fortuitous, circumstantial, a little bit of kind of, um, well, you know, a little bit of sort of kind of good look, but also just mm. just daring to try. Hustle and serendipity combined yeah, perfectly. Yeah, yeah love those that. two things. And I mean, you began documenting the grime scene in its really, really early mm-hmm. days. So back when the notion of Wiley being awarded an MBE or Stormzy headlining mm-hmm. Glastonbury probably seemed like a bit of a fantasy. Completely, <laughs> complete, no, absolutely no way that could have ever happened. So what first sparked your love of this particular genre of music? Uh, it's a friend of mine, actually, called Chantal Fiddy, um, who's another incredible journalist. Uh, she manages people now as well. Um, she's, a, she's, she's a fabulous person. She's a great person for her hustle, possibly in the future. Oh, yes. Um, Chantal, if you're listening. Chantal. Uh, <laughs> she, we worked together at Touch Magazine, so I was very much on the hip-hop mm-hmm. and sort of R&B kind of stuff, and she was doing a lot of the UK Garage, which wasn't really my cup of tea at the time, although looking back now, I you know, really appreciate that as a scene. And she played me, um, she played me this new, this guy that she, she'd got this 12-inch, and she's like, oh, I want to play this new guy. I think you might like it. And she played me what turned out to be Dizzy Rascal, mm-hmm. I Love You, a very early oh, kind of test press. I love that song. Well, I was like, oh, my God, what is that noise? Turn it off. It's horrible. Oh, no way. So she was like, well, you just don't get it. I was like, oh, it's awful. And then about three days later, I was listening to 50 Cent at this point. You know, yeah. it was like in the okay. club and yeah. all that sort of stuff and Jarrell. And then I, a couple of days later, I was like, hey, play that music again. Play that, play that kid again. And I was like, oh, there is something. It was... 
I mean, it was like nothing I'd ever heard before. And I think when I first heard it, it was just so foreign, even though it was British. Yeah. <laughs> and I was living in East London at that time. Yeah. It was very much where I was from, well, where I was living. Yeah, and something about it just um, just really reached in and grabbed me. Um, it was the sense of urgency that Dizzy mm-hmm. had. It was the the accent, the mm-hmm. slang that he was using. The beat was, buzz, buzz, you know, the... Oh, I don't want to try and do a beatbox. It wouldn't work for anybody. But <laughs> that crazy I love you um, yeah. beat which was just foreign, just like I'd never had anything like this before. Yeah. So that was the beginning. And Chantal very kindly took me under her wing mm-hmm. and introduced me to people like Wiley, um, Dizzy, Target, wow. Danny Weed, all these kind of very key, yeah. hugely key parts of, of, of the grime scene. It was then at that point just known as Grimy Garage, Sublo. Mm-hmm. Um, like it had different sort of names. It yeah. was, hadn't quite established itself as, as, what it, as to what it was going to be, but eventually it became known as Grime. And yeah, and that was the sort of beginning of my... It, was, it wasn't the beginning of my writing career, but it was very, very early into it, probably the first few months. Um, and Chantal was the one that really paved the way. Like she, mm-hmm. she wrote so much in those early years. And I sort of dipped in and out a little bit, um, and then over the years, sort of increasingly wrote more and more and more. Was it that? Was it finding that that thing that you really loved that then helped you find your voice? I think I'd already begun to develop it because like, I remember hearing this guy called 50 Cent. I know this sounds crazy now, but obviously no one knew 50 Cent at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'd heard this song called Wankster, which is one of the first songs he did. <laughs> he had a song called Wankster and it had this incredible mixtape. And I was just like, I was just so enthused by the music. Mm-hmm. And what I wanted to do was to explain to people why I liked it. Yeah. So I think there was something in that more than mm-hmm. more than sort of... I mean, but certainly over the years, Grime, because I ended up writing so much, it definitely... And because I was so immersed in it, obviously with 50 Cent, I didn't live in New York. Mm-hmm. With Missy Elliott, I don't, you know, I don't know where she is, uh, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Grime, I suppose, yeah, I suppose, yeah, because I was immersed in the culture, mm-hmm. uh, I would go to... With Chantal, I would go to Forward or mm-hmm. River Division or Black Market Records around the corner from where we are now. Um... And, and certain, since, you know, whatever raves and Chantal would put on raves. So, yeah, I think that possibly did help me to become a better writer mm-hmm. because I was very much invested in what was happening. Yeah. So I was very keen to make sure that what I was writing was okay by the guys. You know, was I, was I, represented sure. them, was I representing them mm-hmm. correctly and in the right way and how they wanted to be represented. Um, it, wasn't as, it wasn't as conscious at that point. I wasn't as, con- as conscious of doing that at, th- at that point. But certainly... On reflection, I think that was what was happening at the time, for sure. And Grime has obviously taken off massively since those early mm. days when you started out. Um, and some of the MCs you were writing about, you've just met some of whom you've just mentioned, um, like DWE, Wiley, oh, Dizzy, right. they've yeah. all become major stars. Mm. What's it been like to document a music scene that has also experienced kind of such a provo- profound evolution? So your kind of your yeah. career has evolved w- kind of with the music genre in quite an amazing way. Did you sense it was going to blow up in the way it did? Well, I, we did early on. We were like, "This is it." This Dizzy won the, the the Mercury Prize. We're like, "This is it. This is going to happen." Um, Wiley got his deal with XL. We're like, "This is it. It's going to happen." Uh, I think later on, like Skepta, maybe this is a little bit later. Skepta went to Skepta and Jamie. I hooked them up with a guy called Cypher Sounds. They mm-hmm. were going to New York with Westwood and there's a guy called Cypher Sounds who's based out there and he, mm-hmm. oh, he, he, had, a, he had a show on Hot 97 at the time. He's a great guy, shout out Cypher Sounds. And he um, he put them on his show and we're yeah. like, that's it, they've got it, we've done. And then, you know, more and more things happened. Did he reached yeah. out, wanted to work with Skepta and nothing ever, nothing ever materialised. So, yeah. you know, even when there was the period when Tiny and Tinchy and those guys did very well in the sort of pop arena, mm-hmm. You know, it, it, even that kind of bubble burst eventually. And then we finally got to, say, 2013 with Skepta and he, he made that blacklisted album. And then Meridian Dan made German Whip. And it was just like, oh, by that point, everyone had given up on wanting it to be massive. It was just yeah. like, oh, it was just like, oh, yeah, the grime is back. What we know is grime is back. Yeah. And that's all I cared about. Um, and for whatever reason, for a multitude of reasons, it 
all just fell into place. And yeah, we and I think the important thing was that there was a next generation coming through. So Stormzy, obviously the huge star, yeah. there, but there was also novelist and Big Zoo, and yeah. people were coming through, were helping to push push it forward. So it wasn't just Skepta um, and Jamie that were making making sort of a lot of noise. You also had a new generation mm-hmm. that meant that the younger generation of listeners could also get involved. Mm-hmm. I think we had no idea it was going to happen. Um, it was obviously something we always wanted to happen. What I love I love about what happened in 2014 was how authentically it remained itself. So, you know, Stormzy got huge from making, like he says on that tune, like, you know, I went to the park with my mates and I made a freestyle. Yeah. And now he's, you know... Huge. <laughs> he's huge. Everyone's favourite. Yeah. What I love, and I said this to you before, I think in doing the research for this interview and for the previous Her Hustle event, I just love hearing you talk about um, Grime because you just talk with this, just such, like, obviously authentic passion which just to hear someone, it's kind of, I've said to you before, yeah. I've had to like take breaks, go and listen to it, stop, listen to it a while, to be like, oh my God, just hearing someone talk in that way is, is so refreshing. Do you think, I mean, obviously journalism is such a kind of competitive career to get into, mm. especially now with the internet, kind of anyone and everyone can have their platform, can have their blog. Do you think having this niche and carving out this specific kind of kind of field of expertise has helped you stand out absolutely yeah i mean i definitely owe a lot to grime mm-hmm. i feel so sort of i feel really lucky that um that i was accepted by the scene mm-hmm. um really lucky you know i didn't i didn't well maybe at the time i took it for granted it just was you mm-hmm. know when you're doing something it, it, i say this often when you when i look back i didn't realize that i was growing up in the equivalent of the bronx in the in the 70s and 80s when hip hop was made you know to be around in the the noughts, the early noughties in in Bethnal Green and um, East London, as grime was forming and then mm. becoming dubstep and you know all these different things that happened, yeah. um, I, I I just wasn't able to, to sort of see that at the time. Yeah. So it's only again on reflection. So I feel really really lucky that that um, that not only did the guys accept me, but that as I sort of has my, as my career has gone in different paths. You know, I've I was writing a lot about grime. I, I didn't write much about grime, then I wrote some more about grime, and I would go to ID and the yeah. Guardian and every magazine that I could I was always pushing 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 and then kind of grime went away for, for a long time and so I continued writing about you know Lady Gaga yeah. I, I was still writing about pop mm. I've always written about pop and hip hop and stuff alongside grime so you know my career has fluctuated alongside alongside that grime and then yeah when it came back the fact that um I was in a position to sort of help, kind of help put in my little building bricks to, to sort of keep keep, yeah, keep you had pushing. This wealth it. of knowledge of this. Yeah, so I think you know, I think um, I feel really lucky. And when I came through the book, you know, it was really important to me that I had the blessing of people like Wiley, Jamie, um, Danny Weed, Target. Like I couldn't have done that book. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have done that book unless they'd said, yeah, yeah, do it, go for it. Mm. And actually, on the subject of the book, um, so this is you published the book in 2016, I believe. Yes. Um, the book is called This Is Grime, as I mentioned. Everyone should read it. What kind of prompted you to do it then? So you said it was kind of with the blessing of the people around you. But had you always wanted to be an author? Was this, I know you didn't have a big plan, yeah. but was this kind of in your oh, mind's no, I, eye? Yeah, or was definitely. It... The, the idea of, well, again, I didn't, I have to thank T- Tiny Temper um, and Dummy, his manager, in about 2010 when he was really blowing up. They asked mm. me to ghostwrite his book, mm. which I'd never done before. Um, but they were like, we don't care, we want you to do it. I was like, okay, fine. So you ghost... really built that trust. Because you yeah. say you're being accepted. Yeah. Like, you'd really... I think... I think there's a few different tiers of what I did. I sort of mm. I sort of wrote about I wrote I wrote people's biogs mm-hmm. or I would write about them in magazines. Mm. I would introduce them to brands like with Tiny. I took him to G-Shock and um, I don't know. I hopefully he got some money out of them or at least he got yeah. some watches. But you know, I let them broker that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've along the way when I've worked with brands, um, with Hennessy, with whoever whoever I've worked with, I've always you know tried to bring those guys yeah. in and be like, hey, listen, go and get some money. Um, 
So I think so that so that was my sort of that was my entry point into into ghostwriting. So post that I wrote for like Jesse J, um, Dynamo, no other grind book since then. And all the time I was having meetings with people, I would go into you know whoever Harper Collins or whatever Penguin, and they would say, oh. Um, who else would you like to write about? And I'd be yeah. like, oh, well, Wiley would be great. Dizzy, they'd be like, mm-hmm. do you know Ed Sheeran? <laughs> do you know Adele? <laughs> or Lily Allen? I'd be like, well, uh, kind of, yeah, but uh, I don't, it's not going to do a book. But like, you know, what about Wiley? Yeah. So no one was interested. And in... She's just crazy now. Just, yeah, which obviously now is, things <laughs> yeah, have really changed. Totally. Uh, and all of those people now have books, apart from Dizzy, but that's his own choice. I think he'll do one when, he, you know, when he's ready. But um, so when, when it came to, so actually, so again, to, another big part of my career has been ID Magazine, who have been, you know, incredible, hugely brilliant mm. to me from, from my first editor there, Ben Reardon, to Holly Shackleton, um, who, was, who was there until recently. You know, they they gave me incredible freedom to write mm-hmm. about stuff. I persuaded them to, in 2005, uh, myself and Chantal, we did a, I think it was like, a, I don't know, 15 page piece on sort of the, the, the scene at the time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to revisit that. that. Was early. And, yeah, that was really, before, really. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We did a huge piece. We had people like, I don't know, like Lady Sovereign was in there and Roll Deep. Oh, and Lady Sovereign. Mike Skinner. Oh. Yeah, there Brings some, back there crazy. <laughs> at Sway was in there. Oh, wow. Um, all yeah. sorts of people. So, um, so we want, I wanted to revisit that in 2015 and again managed to persuade uh, Graham Ranthwaite, uh, who was the art director, the creative director at the time, to let us do another, I think it was 16 pages. Yeah. Um, and this time we did like. It wasn't just grime, it was sort of more... Like we had Crepton Conan, we had the Section Boys, we had Stormzy, we had gigs. It was just like a, this is the scene, yeah. you know, rap, grime, whatever. Um, um, we had shot so many people, myself and Olivia, who was... I'd worked with Olivia at this point a few times, the photographer, and we were like, oh, I should have just done this as a book. Or like we were trying to get Graham through the whole magazine, obviously that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so it was, So then I was like, right, maybe I should try the book again. And I think because I spoke, mentioned it to Olivia and she was like, well, I'll take the pictures. Yeah. Having that sort of um, partner in crime... Really, really, really helped. Your ally in the end. Yeah, yeah, I was like, okay, I've got this. Um, because I had an agent from doing ghostwriting, mm. I pitched it to her. We put together a sort of a deck, and they, she went to a publisher, and they were like, yeah, we want to do this. And I mean, that was. I think we had about six months to do it, which was a bit horrendous. Six months. Yeah, I wouldn't. Whoa. I wouldn't do that again. The oh only good thing about it was that the timing ended up being so phenomenal because yeah. it was the year that. Um, Skepta was nominated for the Mercury and won the Mercury. Like Stormzy had a massive year that year. So actually, 2016, we, we could not have timed it better. And as yeah. much as I hated the publisher for pushing us to finish say. it yeah. um, and nearly giving me a nervous breakdown, and Olivia, um, the timing of it was was really really good. So it wasn't it wasn't planned in that sense. Again, it was just I just knew that I could get away with doing it. Yeah, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't like a uh, cynical, like oh, Grimes really big. How can I make some money? Because make we it, yeah, definitely make money from that book. I think we. I think we broke even just about. We ended up like we flew ourselves to New York. We took ourselves around the country, everything we could to get to get people in the book. So, because it was an oral history, so you were just doing tons and lots of interviews. And and I had lots of um, archive interviews as well that I was able to use. So anyone I couldn't get because there was people we couldn't track down. I was able to like get old snippets from old interviews from them. Um, You know, people certain people had passed away, so we wanted to reflect the people that passed away since. uh, so yeah, it was it was a real labour of love, and I'd, I'd love to do it again. I would absolutely love to do would it. Would you? Would there be a part two, perhaps? I, if, I mean, I would hope so. I think we wouldn't just maybe narrow it down to grime. It'd be great to do the whole cross section, but I don't know. I don't know if it's. I don't know. If, you know. I don't know. Is the answer to that? I don't know if it's the right time and place to do it. So we'll watch this watch space. space. You never know. Yeah. On a really practical level, I'm very much a last minute kind of finish just before the deadline Same. kind of person. <laughs> yes. So the thought of writing, get on. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thought of writing a book to me just feels so unbelievably overwhelming because yeah. 
I don't think anyone can get down hundreds of thousand words overnight, which is what I would definitely attempt to do. Yeah. How did you actually did do. do it? Uh, um... Oh, was it, it kind was, of waking up at the crack of dawn and yeah, just... Yeah, do you know what happened? And it was, it, it's ridiculous as it sounds, I did actually do the most of it in, in a month. I took a month off work. Um, again, thanks to ID, they were very, very patient and generous, gave me the time off. I took a month off, which is just not... I mean, I'd sort of done bits and bobs of it. Yeah. I started to sort of throw bits of bit, bits of it around, but I'd had, I had hundreds of hours to transcribe. Yeah. I still haven't transcribed it all, to be honest. You know, there's still so much material that we didn't hours, get anywhere yeah. to... Didn't get anywhere to doing. Yeah. Uh, like, skept, I chased Skepta around for about, I don't know how many months, like... And in the end, I was just like... He, I was just like, look, can I just use some old interview stuff? He's yeah. like, whatever you need, whatever you need. Oh. So I didn't get to do a fresh interview with him. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've interviewed him now since again. Like, so, so, so yeah, there's lots and lots of stuff. But I just, I ended up, yeah, it was, I was waking up at like, I don't even know, six, whatever time I could drag myself, not even out of bed, I would stay in bed and just get and just a laptop. Write. And then eat at some point. And then, yeah, I'd, I'd 12, one o'clock. It was horrible. It was actually horrible. And I definitely wouldn't recommend doing it. But the problem was because... Olivia now has, she would say this herself, she has fantastic relationships with people now, but prior to that, she didn't know people. So I was there on every shoot because we see. couldn't just do the yeah. book. It was just like, you know, I had to, yeah, it was it was important that I was there. To sort of like, like how Chantel had legitimised me, I had to sort of make sure that people totally. knew that Olivia was authentic. So, you know, and was in it for the right reasons. So, yeah. um, so for the first, we had, I don't know, let's say six months, but for the first three or four, we were just shooting, shooting, shooting and interviewing. Um, and ideally we would have then maybe I could have done it as I'd gone along yeah. but you know having an actual job and I mean this is something that I think is really important for people listening who are at the beginning or wherever they're on their journey it's just um, nothing is ever the way you want it to be you know when you think about writing a book you have I had this lovely image of sitting in like the south of France in a oh yeah <laughs> totally you know, like a posh house and With like a glass of red wine yeah, perhaps a typewriter totally know, impractical yeah. but totally dreamy just having the nicest life yeah. ever but of course you know I was it's in not, south London yeah. stuck, stuck in um, stuck in my flat yeah so it wasn't quite the dream but you just have to get on with it you just have to yeah. you have to hustle and you have to do what it takes to to finish that, that yeah and I, I mean again you know obviously you want it to be the best it can be but sometimes you do have to let things go and say right it's as best as it can be for now and if we ever get to revisit again obviously yeah. i definitely would change a few bits but we were so hard on it like it wasn't through it wasn't it wasn't it was just a t- you know more anything that was time so we put everything we could into it in the time we had and i think because we, you you were juggling that weren't you with you were working alongside yeah my, my yeah. dad was at the time mm-hmm. um i was at what had you know uh, i think three days a week i was at id and doing something else i can't remember what else i was doing at the time oh i was writing wiley's book at the time yes i read this and that's what i was doing <laughs> i'd also agreed to do wiley's book which was ridiculous and didn't end up happening in the end um an amazing woman called ash sarka finished it uh or did it and she is she's fab um, because yeah, it was, just, it was just too much. It was I don't know what I was thinking. It was trying. What, what, what was that thought process? How did you uh, get into position well, whereby you I were writing? To, no, I shouldn't do. I shouldn't do it. Yeah. it was Wiley's manager. At the, I think it's Lily's manager. I don't know. Uh, and I was just like, no, no, I can't. And then they sort of, you know, they flatter you into it. Oh, well, yeah. you not you? No one else but you. And just I was you. wanting to do it. Like, yeah, I was like, okay, but I want to speak to his dad and I want to speak to his yeah. mum. And, and I got to do that. I spoke to his mum and his sister at length. Oh, fabulous, wow, really lovely people. Yeah. So I, again, I was just I loved the process. Uh, I just couldn't. I just I wouldn't have been able to finish our book, um, so yeah, I had to I had to bow ungracefully out of that yeah, situation. Yeah, it's the hardest thing saying no to what you really want to do. Yeah, and I'd started it as well, yeah. so there was all that. But um, but it was fun. Like, all the interviews that I'd done, they were able to give to Ash, and she yeah. sat down and worked an absolute magic with them. Wiley's book's brilliant. So I love that that point you just made in terms of it's never things aren't ever as exactly how you want them to be. It's been my kind of biggest learning mm. this year, especially around setting up her hustle and everything we've had to do around that. Is is that I think it's like a politician's quote, so sorry for quoting this, but don't let the p- 
perfect be the enemy of the good. It's been the thing that's just like, yeah. it's been like kind of my mantra for the year because I'm such a perfectionist um, as a person. But I end up before I'd just get stuck and we just wouldn't do anything, wouldn't finish writing yeah, anything, yeah. would never, could never complete any task because mm-hmm. I just, it wasn't, it was never perfect enough. And then this year it's just been like, you either just, just do it yeah. and see what happens. Yeah. At least you've done something, you've got it out there. Yeah. But don't become like I'm immobilized by that commitment to perfection. It just sounds like your kind of process of writing the book just it's exactly perfectly encapsulates well, that. With everything that I do, um, what's been really great post ASOS and having um, so I'm at Apple a day, uh, Beats one a day a week, and um, you know doing some freelance and about to start a new role. But what's been brilliant, I remember my first piece post ASOS was for the Guardian. It was a guy called Jay Balvin, who's a singer from. Um, South America, and I got to, I went to Sardinia, I think it was, to, to do the interview. And I had like, I got back and I was like, oh, I've got a week to do this. And so I transcribed it, mm. I made some notes. I sat down like three or four days before mm. it was due and I wrote it. And I was like, oh, I've really enjoyed that. And I, I, I've never had such, well, I haven't had such good feedback on a piece in so long. And I think it was because I just really enjoyed doing it. Yeah. I had the time to do it. So look, it's great. It's great to have that luxury to, to yeah. have perfection. But honestly, out of everything I've done, let's say for every 200 things I've done, one piece that I've been able to, or one project even that I've worked on has had the luxury of having a bit of time and the, yeah, and the time. so yeah, you can't, otherwise like you say, I just, I would turn everything down. Yeah, and otherwise you just don't, you don't get anything done. No, you just got to, yeah. you know, you, like you say, you have to, As lo- I always feel as long as I've done my best mm. with what I've got, yeah. then I kind of have to, you know, I have to sort of put up with that. And this is the kind of the, the environment I think and the culture that we live in. Mm. In, in this country and in London and mm. in, in, in this industry or whatever mm. um, uh, in, in 2019, 2020, it's just, it's just, it's just the way it goes. It yeah. is hustle. It's a constant yeah. hustle. You're constantly having to compromise while you're, you know, really aiming for sort of quite huge achievements. Yeah. So, you know, cut yourself a break now and then. I think there's something also about this kind of fear of failure we have now because I think there is just such an image of perfection um, created on often across social media there mm. is this everyone's kind of best lives are constantly in your face you're constantly kind of overexposed to people achieving 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 yeah. and I think it can build it can create the sense this kind of this fear of failure but failure is so important and you learn so much from it there's yeah there's a there's quite a sort of movement towards that at the moment I think the sort of idea of failing failing totally. fail, failing and stuff so failing gracefully and just of, learning from it and moving yeah, on yeah is it Mark Zuckerberg who's like move fast and break everything um, I don't know how like well, I think they're kind valuable. of revising that <laughs> yeah. now they're a bit like now it's like Mark Zuckerberg might want to move re- fast and that. be good yeah stop <laughs> taking everyone's data I don't know exactly. maybe there's an idea um, but yeah that idea that actually of course the things I've learned most from are the yeah. things that I've you know that I've, I've failed at so has there been a kind of key failure that you that you can look to that's been incredibly important in terms of helping you progress in your career or that you've learned the most from i think that i just actually yeah i think with with wiley with the wiley book and taking on the Mm. wiley book i really would have handled that very differently had i had the the benefit of hindsight because i think it actually put a bit of a strain on wiley and my friendship which is again the only thing that's ever been important to me is like doing right by these guys relationships Um, relationships yes it's kind of everything you have i mean look it's great for me i I can go off i've got my my proud podcast i'm sort of moving in like in sort of lgbt kind of world as well you know i'm i'm writing about drill here and there like i write about pop uh, you know, like Jay Balvin. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not constricted to just grime. So yeah, it's fine. Like it's not my be all and end all. But that, re- absolutely, regardless of that, like it is. So it's the most important thing to me. Mm-hmm. Even if I never wrote about grime ever again, I would never want to feel, you know, that I could upset somebody. Mm. Um, and I think with the Wally book, I just, I shouldn't have taken it on, mm. and I should have probably just, just 
stepped out of the situation sooner and probably just spoken to Wiley sooner yeah. and make, made it a little bit better. But we're, you know, it's fine. We're, we're friends and yeah. we speak and stuff. But I just, yeah, that's one regret that, um, or one, yeah. one, one failure of mine that, um, that I would say I would, I would definitely try and do again differently. Of just saying yes too eagerly and actually just not being able to. Yeah, deliver. I think I think we yeah. said that on the on the on the live talk. It's just some, you know, it's it's actually really beneficial to say to say no. To say no. <laughs> Sometimes so, I think especially now, especially in the culture of being freelance, it's so hard to say no because it's yeah. always that fear of like one. It's like if you if you genuinely love the, the subject matter, like I would, of course I yeah. want to do this. But also as a freelancer, you kind of do have it built in. Um, your kind of mentality is always say yes to every piece Absolutely. of work because you never know when work might not come. Of course, yeah, and so actually learning to say no is such a yeah. difficult thing especially in journalism yeah, I, I struggle with it and I think I think if you're saying no because you're scared of something that's mm. the wrong no it's like you know don't say no because you're not sure I mean I've done so many things I've got no idea what I'm doing and I figured it out along the way so it's yeah it's just it's sort of the right no and the wrong mm. no uh, and that's subjective to each person but I think yeah saying saying no to something just to get a better balance of you know I mean uh, it's mental well-being. It's kind of a little bit overused at the moment, but you know, but but making sure that your mental well-being is being looked after. Yeah, um, you don't need to do everything. Yeah, you know, and I, well, I you can't how, do everything. No, you and can't. That's, the, that's yes. the big thing. You actually just can't. And at some point, you have to learn to be able to. I think it's like identifying kind of what is really what's the priority. What is the thing that really needs to come at the top of the list? Yeah, is it going to further you? Work back from that? Is it going to further the person yeah. that you're writing about or the thing you're doing? Like, how is it actually going to benefit? Benefit people people reading it or whatever it, whatever the mm. situation is is it actually going to you know does it actually matter enough does it have impact yeah. exactly interesting what you just said in terms of you've, you've taken never don't turn something down just because you're scared of it because yeah. it could prompt fear and that kind of reflects on something I've been thinking a lot about recently um, so putting kind of fear of failure to one side fear of risk being a kind of another kind of career defining yeah. thing has there been any kind of big risk in your career that you've taken that looking back mm-hmm. really was like a pretty big kind of jump in the dark but it paid off massively um i guess a little bit i'm trying to think of a better example but off the top of my head with the tiny book again i had no idea what i was doing i remember going to initial meetings and being quite nervous but then being like but i can do this it's mm-hmm. basically like doing a magazine it's fine i was mm-hmm. like oh why don't we get tiny to like give us some recipe or whatever mm-hmm. you know we had to we had to like find out ways to build out the book so that was fine um Risks. Uh, I mean, yeah, even going into the office at ID, like going to work at a fashion magazine and not mm-hmm. knowing anything about fashion. Uh, great. <laughs> My next job, funnily enough, <laughs> similar. I mean, I learned, thank goodness, I've learned a lot about fashion at ID. Yeah. And I wasn't expected to know fashion. Like, that wasn't my role. But, you know, there's lots of areas that I ventured into that I'm like, I don't know what, you know, I have no idea. Yeah. But, but what I do, I think what is on my side is that I absolutely love learning. And yeah. I, I'm really interested in modern culture and pop culture yeah. and youth culture. So... I'm not afraid to not know stuff and yeah. I'm not afraid to say that I don't know stuff like in so many times an idea I'd be like I don't know what I don't know what difference is between Margiela and, and Marcus Armida I'm afraid but I mean I do a little bit now actually but um, but yeah you know diving into those unknowns um, I, my first editing job I took at Rewind magazine um, in 2004 mm-hmm. I had never edited I'd barely even been a features editor like I, I again so like editing a magazine I had I didn't know how to do a flat plan I didn't know I don't know about managing people, yeah. still don't. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. A really great manager. You 100% I smash you know, All of these things. Yeah, so yeah. all of these things are, are things you that, just yeah, learn on the job. I've just had to learn yeah. as I've gone along. Um, and is it that is that the key? Is just putting, being able to put your hand up and say, like, hey, I actually just don't know what's going on here. Yeah, but. I mean, definitely with Rewind, I was like, yeah, I'll do the job. But yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know really what I know. I know mm-hmm. what I know. Mm-hmm. And I'll, this is what I'll be really good at. Yeah. You're going to have to help me a little bit on that because yeah. I don't really know um, so much about flat plans or 
whatever it was. I think yeah. I think they had a forum at the time, and I well, they did have a massive forum at the time. I was like, look, and I didn't know much as, as anybody didn't actually at that time about the internet, mm-hmm. um, or certainly the not internet. about the internet, but about forums yeah. and like all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's just just you know be on don't be too honest, but be be honest enough. You know, like just you can you can you can sort of say to people. I think when you're confident in what you can what you do, then you can be confident in what you don't do. Yeah, totally. Um, just touching on a point you just made. So you obviously started out in the good old days of print. Yeah. The days. Um, Obviously, the internet came along Mm. and the media's um, move to digital has profoundly changed what it means and takes to be a journalist. What has the evolution of the industry been like for you? How have you had to adapt your skill set and kind of what you do in line with these changes? I sort of feel like I've been on a TV show, like, it's a knockout or like... (laughs) I'm a celebrity or something. You know when they have to do those challenges where they're like, I don't know, you're like, you're suspended above a bridge and there's like a moving walkway, like a plank that just walks around. <laughs> and you're and you like just... balancing really yeah, precariously. Like, you know, sometimes I'm falling off and like yeah. hanging on for dear life yeah. and then I manage to sort of push my... I mean, honestly, my career has been through so many. I've been, you know, I've had like 10 grand in my account Minus a grand in my account, you know, like it's got me it, all the time with the minus. <laughs> I live in the red. Well, I mean, for it's years, okay. <laughs> for years, I was broke. I mean, me yeah. and Shan, we worked together, we, Fiddy, Chantal Fiddy, when we worked together, we were making 35 quid a week. Wow. Um, just, you know, covering our expenses. It was just yeah. expenses, basically. Yeah. So like, I was doing a bit of bar work and stuff. And then I, I, I don't remember what I, I don't remember what my next sort of page. I, I would do like a cover magazine, a cover of a magazine like Blues and Soul, again, mm. RIP, and it would be like 30 quid. So, like, I remember going to Puerto Rico, my f- my second ever press trip, to interview Missy Elliott, and it was, I had literally, like, 35 quid in my pocket. Like, I was yeah. broke. Wow. And luckily, when you go on these trips, it's all paid for. You know, the PR's <gasps> there to get everything. Oh, but, um, but, yeah, so the evolution, I, I feel like I've often just not, I've often just been quite, I, I don't want to say lucky, because I think, I think for a long time in in the in the mid north mid to late noughties, yeah. a lot of mine and Chantal's contemporaries, mm-hmm. male contemporaries, were doing all this consulting, and I was like, why aren't we ever us? Mm-hmm. Why aren't we A and R at so and so? Why why isn't this brand mm-hmm. asking us? Um, and it just didn't happen. And then it did start to happen. And I tell you what, and actually, I've thought about this in my head before. I've never said this before. Um, it's been women that at, at big brands, at big 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 brands, that have actually been the ones that have given me my break. Of all the men I've met really? across, yeah, of all the men I've never met across record labels. I mean, there's been a don't get me wrong, at magazines that that's different, but uh, G Shock, Apple Music beats one, uh, Hennessy. Uh, I don't even know what other brands I've worked for. Every single brand yeah. has been a woman that has been had said to me, "Hey, really? can you come and work on this?" Women helping women. That's Love what I'm it. saying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, I, and we're just taking a chance on you and just saying, yeah. look, we, you don't, you know, you haven't done this before, but yeah. I believe you can do it. Do it exactly. And I think yeah. that's, I think actually that's that's the um, where, where the sort of print has changed and gone is digital. And what, yeah. what, what I have, uh, what I've been lucky at is, is is where there's been gaps in sort of payment from from doing a magazine. Mm-hmm. I've plugged it with a bit, you know, nice bit of money from brands, which has been wonderful. And I think that's because women have slowly gotten into those positions to give those women. So in, in the early to mid noughties you know, is that even the right thing? Noughts? I don't know what you call it. It is not. I know. I always feel but, really. Weird saying naughty, but it is <laughs> it is naughty. I know. It's like writing the other day, thinking, "Oh God." Um, yeah, there wasn't women in posi- there weren't women in positions of power to, yeah. to help us, and um, and now there are. And I mean, I don't know. I uh, it's just something I've been thinking about recently. Wow, every single every single brand, every really decent paycheck I've gotten has has been directly from the hands of another woman. So wow, I love thanks, that. guys. <gasps> women nothing. helping women helping yeah, women. I'm <laughs> so, and, that, and I hope yeah. that is rep- replicated in in what I'm doing. Now, you know, I hope that that is something that I'm... I mean, I certainly when I was at Rio and I was very conscious... Well, I was I, I was unconscious, but conscious mm. of, of of bringing in um, other women. And we had loads of women working at Rewind. When I got there, there was like zero... Well, there was like one other woman. And, you know, yeah. I was really conscious of it. And um, 
And so, yeah, that's something that I definitely want to, you know, that I'm very, very conscious of. Do you mentor any people? Do you kind of... You... Um, oh, I sort of have kind mm. of... More at Rewind I did. Kind uh, of informally. And sort of informally, yeah. yeah. And do you know what? I was talking about this the other day, actually. Someone did ask me to mentor, mentor them once and I just sort of never got around to doing it and I'm really sorry. <laughs> I'm really sorry. If Archna, you're listening. Archna or Johnny. <laughs> really sorry. Like we did... I don't know. Yeah, I've, I'm really bad at making... I think in that, at that period of time... Prior to about two years ago, yeah. I just constantly worked. Like, I didn't yeah. have that yes-no thing at all. That. And I'm much, much better at that now. And yeah. I think that's because of things like ASOS. And, you know, I get a regular bit of cash from, like, I do two or three days a week or wherever or a day at Apple. Yeah. So I know that I've got a bit of cash. So I, I'm much more free now. And so the last few weeks, I've been asked to do quite a lot of things like this. And I'm like, yeah, absolutely, I've, I can do it. I've got the oh, time. I want to. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if anyone wants a mentor, yeah, I would definitely take on. Oh, that is someone. Uh, Mentor me. Yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. Um, so you've touched on how much journalism has evolved as a profession. Um, but based on just touching on what you've just said now um, and the way you speak about your career, I wonder, does being a journalist today really require you to be a bit of an entrepreneur? And what does that look like for you? It must do. Yeah, I'm trying to think. That all sounds very entrepreneurial to me yeah, when I you mean, talk about all the everything I've done has done. been you know I've, I, I did it I, and I suppose the thing is it's ever evolving like until a few weeks ago last June um, the person I worked with at uh, Apple Music at Beats One I said oh I'm thinking about doing a podcast and um, can you just look at the deck for me just yeah. sort of have a look see what you think and she was like oh just, we should just do this on, on Beats One and I was like as a radio show and I was like oh okay I've never been abroad. I haven't, you know, I've never done a radio show yeah. before. Podcasting, I felt, was a little bit more within reach. Um, so now I have a radio show on this one. Um, again, it's another thing that I had no idea that that, that was going to happen. So, what was the question? I do not, I've got the question. Sorry. Oh, the question entrepreneurialism. Do you think being a journalist now requires you to be a bit so, of an yeah, entrepreneur? I mean, I'm thinking of the other people that I know. I mean, some people I know um, are very much, you know, they work at a magazine mm. or they work at a newspaper. Um, but for example, my, you know, my good pal Michael Craig, he's a big fan of. Um, Max Martin. So mm-hmm. he set up a a website called Maxipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he's looking into doing a podcast about that. So I think, yeah, lots of people like me are now are, it's like, have we got a website or can we do a podcast? Yeah. Are there brands we can work with? Um, because honestly, you, there's no way, if I was just earning, if I just had the money from, you know, like record company biogs, which yeah. is what I get paid to do, and media training, and, and the odd bit for like The Guardian or mm. The Face magazine or ID... It's not. It's no not enough. sustainable. No, no way. Absolutely no way. I mean, I would just about cover my rent and bills each month, and I would be having to really like, yeah, get it. You know, I'd be really having to be like, I want to write. Th-, you know, really yeah. chase chase down work. How have you? How have you um, formulated all these kind of different brand partnerships and doing kind of making these relationships across lots of different kind of industries and with lots of different people? With the, with the first person was with G Shock, um, and we had a trip together, press trip, myself and my friend Sarah um, Sarah Salter, and she we met there and we got on really well. And we were the group of people who I think were a bit. She was the sort of person looking after. Her, yeah. I think she was the PR. She was the marketing PR person. And I think a few of the people on the trip were a bit sort of snobby about it all. I just, you know, I just got on with her and we had yeah. a good time. And we got back, she was like, oh, you, you sort of know about these grime, this, this, these grime people, like, we really would like to kind of get watches them. We don't really know, like, because G-Shock was massive at that point. I yeah. think I told her, I was like, oh, you know, everyone loves G-Shock, right, in, in the grime scene. She's like, well, no, not really. Because you kind of give them some watches. And I was like, what, you ask me to yeah. give stuff to people for free? Of course I can. Yeah, no problem. Like, they'll, I'm going to see Tiny and giving him 10, 15 watches. Yeah, yeah of course. Wow. Um, so that's how it started. And... Um, and f- so from that, I mean, I t- yeah, I don't know. That was that was my first sort of thing, and then I ended up making a film. Also, I got paid to do it. Yeah. Um, and it's just sort of led on from there. And I suppose other brands must see you doing mm-hmm. that stuff. I did some stuff with Ballantines. I think it's because going back to what you were saying earlier about kind of uh, creating myself a, a 
a sort of a niche within Grime, uh, sort of becoming like a trusted voice. When brands have wanted to do stuff with Grime, then they've sure. come to me. And again, it's I've got to be really, really careful. So when I was going to give out watches, I would say to Tiny and Demi or whatever, look, here's some watches. They've got some cash as well, though. Go and talk to them. You know, don't just take, don't just wear these watches for free mm. because, it, you know, like it's the same with all brands, you know, trainer mm. brands. They give artists stuff for free, but put your money where your mouth is, yeah, you know, like totally. help these guys make videos and and put some billboards mm. for them. So that's, that's. I mean, you, you see that all the time now. Mm. Brian um, and Rap mm. are making incredible amounts of money mm. out, of, um, out of brands. So, so yeah, I think it was just yeah. that my access to to that world. And again, I was just super, super, super careful how how brands did, became involved. And sure. so like, I was like, why don't you actually put on a night? So with G-Shot, they would put on like a night and people could get to, because there was nowhere to play at that point. So people were like, oh, amazing. We can go to like the G-Shock store. Mm-hmm. We can like promote our music. Mm-hmm. We can do things. And it's all paid for, obviously. I think they got paid to do it. They got some watches. They got product, you know, whatever. So it was just this very... I told it to be very reciprocal. I didn't want a brand. I didn't. Whenever I've worked with brand, I've, brands, I've never been like, yeah, come and leech off the scene and then go. Yeah, you know. So you want to kind of integrate them and make sure they're kind that of they're sticking properly. around and they're not just kind of jumping yeah, on the hype and, and then and then going. Yeah. I mean, G Shock's a great example because it was it was already there. People were already fans. Hennessy. Yeah. I worked with Hennessy, who are an amazing brand. They're an amazing they, brand. They sponsored our last event. Yeah, so yeah. thank you, Hennessy. Hennessy <laughs> Big fans of the hustle, which is people great. People are there are, are great, and I'm not just. And that's the other thing. Like, oftentimes you meet people at brands and you're like, oh my god, you're just horrendous. <laughs> like they just don't have any idea. And it's just yeah. awful. It's just and like a clumsy. PR mission for them, which yeah. is just yeah. So and crazy. with Hennessy, there's been a couple of things. We did an exhibition with them recently, Olivia and I, and um, it wasn't them, but a third party had, had done a couple of things on their write up, and I was like, you can't put that up. They were like, it's an hour before we go, we, before we open the doors. I was like, you trust me, that you, you can't, you can't include that wording. It's just not, it's just not on. And they're like, yep, no problem. Like, get it down, change. Oh, wow. So, so they like, really, you know, they, they care. They're yeah, really even invested they in your... they were like, what are they even going on about? This is a really minor thing. We were like, yeah. no, this is super important. Like, if an, uh, artists are coming tonight and if they see this, mm-hmm. it was basically kind of incorrectly calling, like, gigs grime, essentially. Mm-hmm. Long story short. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's the thing with brands. It's like, do they get it and do they want to get it? And if sure. they don't get it, are they open to people telling them? You to know, reconsidering into to exactly. And I think brands are a lot better at that now. Yeah. But yeah, obviously things like grime and rap, everyone's trying to make a bit of cash out of yeah. them. So it's uh, ensuring the brands... there isn't a kind of exploitative relationship. Exactly. So if you had exactly. to say no to quite a few brand partnerships, and there's a couple of things I've said no to. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think off the top of my head what they are. Um, but there are a couple of things that I haven't been able to do just for sort of um, things that might clash mm-hmm. with other brands. I mean, there's not loads to mm-hmm. be honest. But I would. I'm, and there isn't a brand that I wholeheartedly that I could sort of call out now but mm-hmm. there's if there are brands that I'm just not politically aligned with mm-hmm. or ethically aligned with um, then, then I would, it's a hard yeah yeah and isn't typically that brands will come to you so they'll they'll see you as a kind of trusted voice within the space or have you gone to brands also no, and been like hey this is what I can bring yeah, to you they've always come, always to, come to, to you yeah I mean I don't know how to go to them yeah. which is something that I should do you know this is the thing about you know, I suppose another um, thing for the to-do list, though. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> Along with just, the tax returns, you it can't, never gets done. You can't, um, you can't rest on your laurels for a long yeah. time. I, was like, I can't write for the Sunday Times, and I didn't. And then, like, I pitched to some, pitched something to them, and then I ended up writing for the Sunday Times, and it was the same with the Guardian. So I, I stopped myself sometimes. So actually, I'm like, oh, I don't really know how to. How would I pitch for a brand? How do I do that? Well, mm. I don't know. Just do it. Like I've. So I, I also still, I am still, even at where I am now, I am still quite self. Um, not self-controlling, but I, I, I will, con- you know, I will stop myself from doing things because I don't know how to do it. As much as I'll do stuff, I'll take uh, risks I'll in some in. instances, but when then it others comes to me, being, basically, yeah, it comes no, to me, I'm like, yeah, yeah, fine, I'll give it a whirl. But I'm not as good at sort of going to people and going, "Hey, your brand's great. Have you thought about doing this?" Oh, I don't know. That just it makes even though cringe. you'd be so, even though you'd have know. so much great wisdom to offer them. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I, I was doing my CV for something recently, and I was like, "Oh my god, I've actually done quite a lot. Like, I've done some really great." 
stuff um, in the past that has like performed incredibly well on socials for the brand or you know, have had them access to artists that are now huge mm. superstars. So, yeah, I mean, I've, you know, I've done a few bits. Mm. I, 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 should, I, I, should, uh, I should be a bit braver. And, you know, we should all be a bit braver, I guess. When it comes to the freelance writing, um, you just mentioned that you never thought that you could write the Sunday Times which no is that bit, until you then pitched them. Yeah. Is that, I'm sure, kind of as you build up a kind of name within um, the journalistic industry, it's become much easier to then, to, you know, to write yeah. for different publications. But as you started out, is it just a matter of the freelance journalist or just banging on doors and just keeping on pitching to people coming to, coming up with new ideas how does that work yeah I think you know a lot of times if you're pitching if you're a new journalist or newest journalist and you're mm. like oh hey Rihanna's got a new album coming mm. out can I interview her people are going to be like we know Rihanna has an album coming out we're, you know, we're or, kind of on that <laughs> yeah we've, we've all crossed that one um, or even you know even like a smaller artist like Stormzy for example is another good example like you know yes we know he's got an album coming out it's probably already been sorted so yeah. it, it's. I think the key is coming up with really good ideas I think for a long time particularly in journalism there was a, such a lack of female voices, people of colour, mm. LGBT people, both writing those stories mm-hmm. and telling those stories. And a lot of magazines finally now mm-hmm. are like understanding that, you know, there's a need and mm. a want and a desire and a necessity to tell those stories in the right way. Mm. So if you're if you are, you know, someone who's young and um of colour or you're you're female, I mean and also white guys too. I don't want to sort of like just decimate a whole group <laughs> of people. But you know, there yeah. there are lots of opportunities now um and magazines have to sort of really mm. work hard to find mm-hmm. new voices and they should and they should be so i think you know it's telling stories that are perhaps not so obvious mm-hmm. and i think because culture is moving so fast at the moment you know it's, it's impossible so to keep up. up with everything yeah. so if you're a, if you're a young person that you live in like south london you're like oh i mean this has already been and gone but like the you know the south london jazz scene for example yeah. or i think there's like a still a bit of a punk scene down there but i mean i don't know what's happening in west london mm-hmm. or or in 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 the blackpool grime scene mm-hmm. or whatever you know there's all these different wherever you're from in the country What's happening in your in your area, and what's mm-hmm. you know? Your, I think local news and local stories translate so well. People yeah. are here, so I think it's it's a question of that. It's like getting involved yourself in something, um, and understanding what's happening in, around you and in mm. your own culture. Yeah, and then trans taking that to another place to sort of translate it and platform it. And you've throughout your career, you've always really kept your finger on the pulse of kind of popular culture of, of youth culture. Yeah, really. I've tried to. And how? How? I mean, because as you say, culture moves so fast. How do you keep yourself so kind of relevant and so on the money with kind of knowing what's going on? Like playlists, YouTube. Most importantly, though, is talking to people um, and, and and younger people. You know, like I'm definitely getting old. Obviously, I'm getting older. Um, We're all getting yeah, older. Sadly, you know. I mean, but, I mean, I look at it in a way. It's like it's just great. I've got loads of experience, but. Yeah. I'm also in every office that I'm, I'm working in mm. constantly, if I can, just talking to young people and yeah. like telling them what I'm listening to, mm-hmm. asking them what they're listening to, arguing about what we're listening to. Um, like, where do you lot go out? Like, do you guys take drugs? Do you guys <laughs> hook up? Is it all on Tinder? Do you do it? How does it work? Like, I'm just interested. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Maybe totally. that sounds a bit predatory. Like, not predatory, but a no, bit, like, it does. It just sounds super sleepy. curious. No, I'm just like, yeah, I want to know. Like, I want to know. What are you what's... doing? How are you filling your hours? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so it's that. It's like going out to stuff. Yeah. Um, you know. Just, I went to something the other week at the ICA, which was amazing, which was just like loads of young people. Uh, it was like a, it was an LGBTQ night. Well, it was a lesbian night essentially. It was like a it was like a poetry evening, and um and there was just some oh, incredible talent there. So it's just do you know what I mean? It's, it's for me stepping out of stuff that I it's me also exploring parts of London that I don't yeah. normally go to, which is exactly what I was just saying. People should also be doing. You know, like the advice that I give to young to younger journalists is the same that I give to myself. Mm-hmm. You know, talk to people, ask people, mm-hmm. find out what's going on, listen to music. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I just try and read quite a lot as well. I obviously, like I read everything from the New York Times, the Ta- to Time, Time Magazine's a great one. Time Magazine's um, brilliant. It's so good. Uh, the New Scientist randomly, but also like I don't know, like Guap, um, mm-hmm. obviously Galdem, like uh, oh Galdem, brilliant. Yeah, yeah, everything. You know, just try and try, and it is hard to keep up. And I think yeah. that kind of adds stress to people's lives as well. Trying to watch it and read and listen and podcasts and everything but as much as you can just even mm-hmm. if it's just an hour a day you dedicate yeah like, i'll read totally. this in 10 minutes and what, listen to that and watch that just sort of soak up what's happening it is hard enough i don't think you can't know everything and you no. can't you can't be completely on top of everything but i think as i get older you know it's again it's important to employ people that mm. I'm, I'm when i'm working with brands or companies that i'm like hey you need to bring in this office is old mm. <laughs> you need to bring in younger people and like newer voices yeah. and we have to listen to them you know worked at a lot of magazines where the older people think they know better and it's just not I, it just makes no sense to me you know I'm always asking you know and it, and, and there's sort of sense of hierarchy as well it's just like you should absolutely be asking the work yeah. experience and and the the junior designer mm. or the or the receptionist like mm-hmm. everybody do you know what I mean you're all part of the same company like what's everybody mm-hmm. into you know don't have that sort of horrible kind of hierarchical um snobbery that, totally. that only the sort of top people is deci- are deciding what's happening in the magazine yeah. so. acknowledge what you don't know exactly and act on it totally yeah um and so you've mentioned um, kind of a couple of times the new radio show you're working on, yeah. which sounds very exciting. Mm. How, so I know that kind of came back because you pitched it kind of as a podcast yes. somewhere. So what is that transition to radio, which you haven't, a medium you haven't um, explored before? What's that been like? Um, <laughs> I mean, thank God it's not live. Oh my God. <laughs> it's pre-recorded. Thank God. Uh, I actually did it in the studio the other day. And I, so basically it's, it's, I asked people, it's a bit... It's a little bit kind of, it borrows the Desert Island Discs idea in the sense that people come out oh, and play music. Brilliant. Which is why it's Desert great that it's a radio show, because, yeah. which is what I wanted. Um, and, and the person that I pitched to was mm. like, well, this, you know, as a podcast, you can only use a little bit of music. So this should be a radio show. Um, so I had a little bit of a crash course the other day in using the board, and it involved turning on three buttons pressing them three buttons and I couldn't even do that quite right so and there's a lot to learn with, a, with for me in a radio board but I really want to learn and actually um, my plan my hope is that I will um, kind of take some lessons and do a bit oh, of, wow. do a bit of um, so there's continual learning just at all stages oh god yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I mean it's great like you know I, I can do writing now and I have to do that yeah. I can do books now um, I want to casual I'm, can, can, do, you know, can do books you know, you know? Yeah. yeah I've got a little idea <laughs> and then I want to do I want to do um, more screenwriting and like you know fiction all this sort of stuff but yeah so the, so the so the radio show it's a whole new world but it's to me it's the same thing it's just it's just talking to people about their asking stories asking people questions and asking yeah. people questions yeah do you script it do you write everything yeah. beforehand I mean I do and then yes I do I mean I'm, I'm really bad when I go to an interview to interview someone normally I have all my questions and I never look at them and then I leave and I'm like I forgot to ask four million things but with I mean, this yeah. I'm looking at my like hundreds well, no, of questions is, in front of me but it's yeah it's the same sort of thing but then obviously as you do it's yeah. like oh you just said that you know you, I bounce yeah. I bounce around too so and often times you know don't ask all the questions that, that I have scripted because mm. we have like they play ten songs ish per show so there's like yeah. or four eight songs so there's little sections so if I'm like ah oh, yeah time's running out what's the most important thing out of this sure. section that I'm going to get to. Mm-hmm. But yeah, pretty much it's scripted, but then... It just goes off the Yeah, off I path. can't help myself. And is this you kind of consciously moving away from grime into kind of a new space? I know you're going kind to of more the LGBTQ yeah. plus kind of space, or is this what is... I think I'm just a bit... Bre- I mean, for a long time, it was never that I was in or out, like mm. with the grime scene, like... Um, uh, you know, if, if if at that any point I had a girlfriend and I was with whoever, why? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is my girlfriend. They'd be like, okay, cool. I mean, I've never had any mm-hmm. any. No one's ever batted an eyelid or cared. 
um, to have. Um, so yeah, that. It, so it's not a conscious thing, but I think over the last couple of years, I've been thinking. Well, over the last year, I was like, I want to do more. Like, mm. I get to write about everybody. I, th- I think. I think what it is, is, I get to tell lots of other people's stories, but maybe I'm starting to be interested in telling mine. Interesting. And so, I think that was what the radio show was about because it, it's quite an exchange in the sense of even when I'm asking questions, I'll tend to be like, "So this happened to me, and it made me feel yeah. like this. Has this happened to you, and how does it make you feel?" Rather than just me sort yeah. of asking, you know, whatever the question might be. So it's quite, it's quite, um, it's quite, it's kind of, it's quite equally. It's not equal. It's more. It's obviously more based on the person because it's their talent and people care about them. But I am trying to sort of, yeah, just sort of bring bring my own experience into it. So it's not, it's not leaving grime. I suppose initially I was thinking, oh, you know, can I write about grime when I'm, you know, seventy five years old? Maybe not. Um, so there was a part of that sort of saying. I think, think, I think to myself, saying, oh, should I sort of be looking to kind of write less about music and your youth culture yeah. but also I keep getting work so I don't think it's that I think it's just more wanting to kind of step into my own shoes a little yeah, bit yeah and explore a new space and kind yeah, of speak to exactly. new people yeah I think so yeah, I, I think that's that. what it is and this is a really 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 obvious question so now you can tell I'm going back to the script yes. to a question I have really, really wanted to ask you um, is it if you were starting out your career all over again mm. now would you be doing the same thing would you still be in journalism <sighs> What I would, would just go straight to podcast, I reckon. Straight to podcast. Because I've always wanted to do radio. Like I said to you, I think, at the top of the show, like, I loved I loved writing and I loved music. Yeah. And I, at that point, it was just a music journalist was the obvious mm-hmm. thing. And I think now, because there's so many different ways to... to um, so many different platforms and different outlets mm. uh, to talk about things... Um, and I've always just, I've always re- like had a secret love wanting of wanting to do radio. So like, I'm really lucky that that's kind of coming to fruition. So I think maybe yeah. I would have tried podcast, but but combined with writing, I think maybe I would have been maybe more. I think your generation, the generation below, you guys are a lot better at seeing the bigger picture immediately. I think for me and my generation, it's like you do magazines. Oh, it's changed. What should we do now? It's all gone online. Okay, let's sort of look at what we can do there. Whereas I think with you guys, you've got such a broad scope of an understanding that actually it's not about being one thing it's about how you do one thing across sev- in different ways across kind of forced things. to wear 100 million one hats exactly totally. and so i think hopefully i'd have that in- yeah. ingenuity and that sort of um uh foresight to to come at it that way do you know what? i'd also wish i I'd, i would also like to learn how to make music if oh, really? i have my time again yeah, i mean i can still do that um, but i have I'm sorry, I'm 400 years old but i know say i just, it's I'm just sure another thing. the next the next learning well curve. it's just yeah i just haven't got time but if i if i was really rich i would like get a really basic studio and then like pay someone like to come and teach me for a week and then just like sit there for like a month and try and learn and what, um, would, and what can making what kind of music i don't know probably really bad music I imagine it'd be great. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even. I don't even know. But I just. I would. I just be. I think because I can write. I'm like, oh, maybe I could write songs. But maybe mm. I couldn't. I have no idea. I've never tried. Mm. And I heard you once in an interview that if you won the lottery overnight, you the first thing you would do is set up your own magazine. Oh, I and think I love that. Is that true? Yeah. Do you think you were, it's funny? Because I was talking to some friends about this recently. We were working magazines. Um, lots of my old pals from the ID days, mm. and I was. We we used to talk about having an agency back in the day. Mm. And and I was like, God, I know so many incredible people. I know so many brilliant people now in, that are stylists or editors or photographers, uh, art directors. Wow, what a magazine we could put together. But um, if I just had loads of cash, yeah. And I mean, employed. you just won the lottery. You have tons of okay, You have yeah, unlimited right. cash. I would have some sort of like, yeah, I definitely would have. It would, it would have, whatever it was, however it existed. I mean, ideally it would be like a podcast studio. Oh, there'd be yeah. a film studio, yes. there would Ooh. be a magazine, you know, the, and the magazine would probably be a bit of the um, sort of um, the the egoy part where, you know, it's like, it doesn't really need to exist, but like, let's do it because it looks great. 
Brilliant. And sort of it. have it, yeah, have it all across. I, I would love to. Oh, that, that's so it would be the dream. Hattie Collins Media Empire. Yes, HCE. I H-C- like that. HCE. Yes, HCE. Mm, doesn't really. I'll work on the name. I'll work on the name. But yeah, I would have some sort of media empire. But not, you know, not about me. I would just be like, uh, with a group of people, I'd be mm-hmm. like, what magazines do we make? Mm-hmm. And I don't even know what it would look like. Mm-hmm. But I would just love to have a magazine where, like, say two years ago, I was at a certain magazine and I'm like, let's put Liz on the cover. I'm always sort of trying to push yeah. to put people on the cover. And everywhere I've been, there's always been someone above me to say, pushing back. Yes or no. So And then kicking themselves after being like, I mean, we should have put Liz the on the cover. I told you so. Yeah. Like Billie Eilish, Lizzo, I mean, Skepta. Oh, no I mean, there's been so, I mean, Skepta obviously is an obvious one, but like, I mean, for years yeah. I've been trying to do that. So I just wish I could have a magazine where I could be like, even if it was all wrong, even if every cover I made, yeah. like, at least it was my, my mistake to make. One thing I've noticed throughout the interview, you've spoken a lot about the kind of the importance of the relationships that you've cultivated throughout your career mm. um, and how integral they've been to what you've done and come kind of now at the point at which, you know, if you do win the lottery, which I very much hope you do. And I to will start playing <laughs> to win. But yes. Can't join in that. Um, that that kind of the relationships you have built would be kind of amazing. I'd them all off immediately. Yeah. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, obviously. They, okay, they're gone. There. Yeah, fine. But but throughout, they've obviously been incredibly important. Everything you've done mm. has that. Have they just kind of been kind of cultivated naturally, just through kind of virtue of what you're doing? Have you or have you always made a point to kind of networking, going oh, out there? No, no, no. I hate networking. I remember once going to the Guardian Christmas party on my own because I felt like I should because the guy that was the editor was leaving and the new and I could get to meet the new editor. Mm. I mean, it was excruciating. Oh god. So they give you the name badges. Uh, there was oh, no, everyone knew each other apart from. I don't even oh, know no. I was thinking. But I did this. I, yeah. did it, I mean, I've, I had to do it last year. I, went, I was saying this someone the other day. I went to the uh, the Beats one Christmas party last year. I didn't really know anybody. I mean, that was actually lovely. But just that going through the door it's the fir- when you yeah. don't know anybody, I'm yeah. just not here for it. Um, I think, and then this is something I think I said on, on the on the I saw it on my Instagram yesterday that you guys posted it. It's just about not being a. It's just don't be a dick, and that's love that's that my, <laughs> best piece of advice. Thank you. I mean, I think, and I think the relationships I've made with people. Uh, oftentimes there have been people that have been my sort of senior at work you know mm-hmm. or, or my you know or on the same level or whatever but mm. it's just I think it's just because I haven't been a dick um, has got me a long way mm-hmm. so I've you know I've hit my deadlines I've been nice to people I try and be accommodating without being a pushover more oftentimes I'm a bit of a pushover um, you know I'm <laughs> just, I just do my, I just try and do my best and yeah. I think that's kind of got me a long way and, and that's how I am in, in mm-hmm. life and I am in my friendships mm. so um I have made loads of uh, like, like some best, best, best mates out of this um, yeah. and hopefully we'll be best mates forever. So I think it certainly wasn't conscious, no, not at all. Um, but do you know what I was also, actually, to be really honest, because I've moved to London with a, a small group of friends, yeah. I didn't know loads of people. I actually needed some new pals. So doing going into music journalism um, back in 2000, what it was, two, two or 2002, I just needed some new mates. And... Uh, over the years, luckily, I've I found a, I found a few. So moving to a new place is the best way of getting you to just kind of just out of yeah. necessity. Be like, hey, just yeah. go up. Be like, hey, I actually really need to make some, make some, some new, new friends. friends. I've only Hello. got like, six of us from uni. I'm like, you guys yeah. aren't going to see me through. <laughs> You're great, but uh, I need to exactly. widen the circle. So yeah, there was there was definitely a lot yeah. of that as well. Just yeah, you just got to get out there and just don't be a dick. Be yeah. nice to people. Really try and like and I and I, I need to do this more because I was really good at doing this and I think I've not been as good uh, because I haven't been in a position to hire people recently. But like just bring people through bring, yeah. bring the next generation listen to the yeah. next generation and the generation below that and, and like soak it all up and, mm-hmm. and just keep learning mm-hmm. love that and just before we wrap up one final pearl of wisdom from you what is the one thing you wish you'd known before starting out in your career in music journalism oh what do I wish I'd known what do I wish I'd known I wish I'd known that that there was a lot more available to me than I assumed was the case um 
I wish I'd known to ask people for help. Mm. I wish I'd known that the internet was going to be big. Crystal Ball would have been pretty uh, but, I mean, the internet was yeah. big at the time. Like, when I started, like, we were definitely, like, researching. Or oh, hiphop.com was a thing. Like, we were researching on there. But YouTube, none of that stuff. I wish yeah. I'd known. Like, when, I remember MySpace coming in and being like, mm, this is interesting. And uh, we start, I started a blog very, very early on. I, I got on everything quite early, but, yeah. Always I wish the I'd um, known to set up, you know, like, make up YouTube or whatever. Or make up... <laughs> make up. <laughs> Brian Daly or whatever. You definitely have your media empire. I wish I had a crystal ball. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I wish, I just wish I, I think that, and that goes for now as well. I just wish, I think I just, you have to, don't limit yourself and, and, and don't, don't limit to yourself to what you think is possible. Yes. I am so guilty of that. I'm always like, no, this is what I know. This is what I have. I probably can't get anything more better. So I'm just going to stay in my lane. Well, that's the thing is, you know, what else can, this can be a podcast and a live mic. What else can it be? You know, what's coming? There's all this voice activation stuff coming through. I don't really understand it, but like, I'm told it's a thing. You know, like, it's a thing. It's a thing. You know, how else can you, can you, can you do that for for, for her hustle? And how much can I do that for what I do? So yeah, always, always, always keep your eye on what's going on ahead. Brilliant. Hattie, I could talk to you for hours, but we're going to wrap up there. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you very much, Emma Louise. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the How I Hustle podcast with me, Emma Louise. Please don't forget to subscribe and listen to all our future episodes. And please, if you have time, leave us a review as it'll help others find the podcast too. Bye.